Hey everyone, if you like this podcast, go behind the paywall to get privileged access to the smartest minds in finance. Join the Real Vision community and learn how to become a better investor. Visit realvision.com slash rvpod and use the promo code podcast10 to get 10% off our essential membership for the first year. Here's what's coming up on this edition of My Life in Four Trades. It's tough to lose your own money. I've never been able to make the transition to the toughness of losing other people's money. Uh, but that's a tough thing to do too. And I just suppose that, that losing both at the same time uh, may be like a double whammy. Buying low and selling high is not just the easiest thing. It, it, it's, it's very difficult. And you can make a lot more money cheating. Uh, Bernie Madoff isn't with us anymore, but if you could do an interview with him and he was open, he would say, uh, it was a struggle to make money. And uh, I am convinced that his two sons made money the honest way, but not near as much as he did. You can make a lot more cheating than you can uh, doing it straight. Hi, everyone. Welcome to another edition of My Life in Four Trades. Joining me today is Mark Ritchie Sr., the founder of Chicago Research and Trading Group. Enjoy the conversation. Hi, Mark. Welcome to My Life in Four Trades. Well, thanks. Thanks, Maggie. My pleasure to join you. So before we jump into your trades, tell us a little bit about your background. Where did you grow up and what were you like as a kid? Probably the most important thing you need to know about my background is that I spent four of my most formative years, age 9 to 13, in Kabul, Afghanistan. Now, the interesting thing about that, Maggie, is that in all my days since that time, no one has ever asked me what that was like. And that has changed a little bit in the last decade because, generally speaking, no one in my country knew where Afghanistan was. But uh, so th those were, were interesting formative years. Prior to that, I was in not the deep south, but close uh, in, uh, in Texas. And uh, after that, in a small coastal town on the Oregon, uh, in Oregon rainforest. So uh, the, as a friend once asked me in high school, Mark, why are you so weird? Uh, it was a friend, it was a friendly question. It was a friendly question, but that sort of background, it, it helps to give you a, a basis of the answer to it. Yeah, absolutely. I, so those are such radically different places. How, yeah. What were the circumstances that led you to be in Afghanistan at that young age? Uh, the way I try to put it to people in your generation, uh, Maggie, is that there's an advantage to being old uh, if, if you've really picked up the stuff along the way. Uh, Dwight Eisenhower landed in the Kabul uh, airport in December 1959 and spoke about America's interest in helping Afghanistan move into the uh, 20th century. I was there. I heard him speak. Mm. And it, it's things like that that have 
enabled my friends to say, Mark, how'd you get so weird? Um, my father was part of Eisenhower's foreign aid program. He taught engineering at uh, Kabul University. So, uh, yeah, that, that has helped me recognize that it was a little bit easier for me to uh, take a different path. And you probably noticed, Maggie, everyone you've interviewed, that all of us have taken a different path, especially those, not, all, not everyone you interview uh, traded for themselves. A lot of them traded for groups. But um, there tends to be two, uh, two different kinds of investors, those who, invested, who, who traded for themselves, those who traded for others uh, and groups. Generally speaking, there's a generalization, never the twain shall meet. Some have tried to do both, but very, very few people have been successful at investing for themselves and others all at the same time. It's not, it's not an easy thing to do. Why do you think that is? It's tough to lose your own money. It's tough enough to lose your own money. Uh, I've never been able to make the transition to the toughness of losing other people's money. Uh, but that's a tough thing to do, too. And I just suppose that, that losing both at the same time uh, may be like a double whammy. I'm not sure. Yeah. I, I really, I really can't. But, but I can tell you what I, I, what's, what's, I think, important for your viewers to, to capture is that buying low and selling high is not uh, just the easiest thing. It, it, it's, it's very difficult. And... It, you can make a lot more money cheating. Uh, Bernie Madoff isn't with us anymore, but if you could do an interview with him and he was open, he would say, uh, it was a struggle to make money. And uh, I am convinced that his two sons made money the honest way, but not near as much as he did. You can make a lot yeah. more cheating than you can uh, doing it straight. Of course, uh, I, I shouldn't say he made money. I don't know about uh, it's the first thing you mentioned about your childhood being in Afghanistan. What what do you remember? What was your kind of collective experience there? What stood out to you um, that you carried with you f for the rest of your life from that very formative experience? Mark Twain said the two most important days of your life, unless you're familiar with Mark Twain, you would have no idea what they are. I mean, the first one is the day you were born. And the second one is the day you figure out why. Ah. Now, two hours before you set up this interview, Maggie, I get a call from an Afghan in Kabul who's in hiding from the Taliban and needs mm -hmm. money to get out. And uh, it's, I, I, I have some people who are sophisticated at moving money around the world, and I have the ability to, to, to help. And uh, that is, uh, uh, that's a part of my answer to Mark Twain's yeah. second uh, Yeah, that's, pro there. that's very profound. And, and why that so part of my childhood is, is uh, still looms pretty substantial. So you have you still have ties. You still yeah. have connections and ties to Afghanistan. Well, starting a year and a half ago, they all 
<laughs> came flying back to the surface. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, indeed. Absolutely. So, so you have this experience uh, and some some sense of the sort of broader world at, at a very young age. Was money an important topic in your family? I mean, you saw the inequities there. You sort of understood uh, this concept that some people have a lot more than others. And, you know, um, it, that, that looks very different depending on where you're standing in the world. Was money a, a topic that was discussed in your family? That question, Maggie, is so loaded. We, we need an hour to, uh, <laughs> to work on it. The answer, of course, is yes, but, but not really not re it's, this isn't about money it's about free enterprise it's about mm -hmm. capitalism it's about uh, opportunity and in a, in a way the afghans taught me that too i'm going through the bazaar uh, bargaining for kites or pigeons or anything like that and Every price of everything is negotiable. There's no, no such thing as a price sticker anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> that, that, that'll hone your skills uh, when it comes to exactly. negotiation. <laughs> so when did you first discover investing? I guess my brother and I took a visit to the Board of Trade. One time we'd heard about this, um, being uh, monopoly players and uh, uh, traders of anything uh, uh, kites and glass string and pigeons and anything in the in the bazaar in Afghanistan. We we'd heard about the trading. We we, we went to the visitors gallery at the Chicago Board of Trade, and uh, we'd heard about how crazy the whole thing was and all that. And it didn't look all that crazy to us. We saw people gathering in the pits and so forth and, and doing stuff, and we weren't paying any attention to the time. Then we heard this great big clang, which was the the trading bell at nine thirty. And that pit went wild. <laughs> People sloshing up one side and up the other side. And we looked at each other. We said, well, this is the place for us. And, uh, <laughs> and, but uh, I'll, I'll tell you, it took a while to uh, figure out uh, the, the dynamic of the place and the power of the free enterprise. It's interesting to me that when we talk about your two best trades and your two worst trades, um, as as we do in this show, they don't have to be financial in nature, and yours aren't. Yours are yours are more decisions that impact your life uh, in some way, and the first one is really a testament to that. And you say one of your best trades and one of the most important trades for anyone is getting your spouse right. <laughs> and happily, this is one of your best trades. So set the scene for us a little bit. Um, how and when did you meet your spouse? I came to Chicago, actually, and, uh, and took a job directing choir at a church. And uh, she was in the choir and uh, I was... Uh, uh, wasn't love at first sight, but it was, uh, anyway, it was good. And the the character of the person that you live with, I, I just heard one of your traders talking about uh, uh, coming home and talking about trading. And uh, again, I say, we're all different. I, <laughs> I don't remember ever uh, talking about a good trade uh, at the uh, dinner table. 
And, and what's more, Maggie, this is kind of interesting. As you go through this, these best trade things, in all my career, Maggie, I never heard a professional trader talk once about a good trade. Really? There's, there's something about, yeah, yeah, I, I bought this here and it went up. If you go to a cocktail party and you hear somebody say that, they're not a professional trader. Do they talk about the bad trades? Yes. Oh, yes, for sure. For sure. Yeah, yeah, you, you can talk about the bad trades. But no, you, you just, I don't know if it's not polite. I don't know if it's considered yeah. braggadocious. I'm not sure. You know, uh, Maggie, I, that you've run into a lot of people because you interview a lot of people. Some people have that sort of the smartest guy in the room syndrome. I have never known anyone with that syndrome to be successful in our business. No. When did you know that this was going to decision was going to be one of your best trades? Have, having partnered when, with the right you, person. When you come home after doing that, and you say to your spouse. Uh, I lost all our money today. If money is important to her, that's going to be the beginning of uh, the breakdown in your relationship. Mm. Uh, and you might not even know how important money is to her until you come home and say that. She might not yeah. even know herself how important money is to her. But we, we knew, and I, I think I even learned this from my childhood in, in Afghanistan, Yes, inequities are a big deal, but this is not about money. This is about opportunity. It's about enterprise. It's about what are you going to do with your life? And is your life going to make a difference? And so forth. And you can make a difference with your life, whether you have any money or not. And if you have that kind of integrity, because you have a spiritual foundation for yourself, you, you can continue. But if you don't, you're, you're in trouble. You, and um, yeah. I, I even, uh, I, I did try to invest for others at one point and they even had a, a stipulation that you have to tell us if you're gonna get a divorce because if you get a divorce, we're gonna withdraw our money uh, immediately until you get back on your feet. So your second trade um, you you brought it up, uh, so let's talk about it. Was and it was one of your worst. Was putting on a trade that was too big and cost you everything. I'm assuming this is the trade that you're referring to when yes, you took yes. all of your money and all of your savings. And, and that. so, what made you do that trade? Well, it was an opportunity uh, in the market, and uh, I I was not. I had no experience as a trader. I didn't realize how small the trade needed to be. Uh, I was convinced that the trade was a good trade. Uh, I uh, Maybe I had the smartest guy in the room complex myself. Uh, this thing had to go the way I thought it was going to go. And uh, I hadn't done the quantity of research that was necessary. But, but the biggest problem with it, Maggie, was that I had no idea how much money I could afford to lose on this particular trade and how much I needed to have left over to make a second trade if this one was wrong. The, the likelihood of being wrong was not much of a factor. 
uh, in my mind. I wasn't exactly sure where my stop loss was going to be. So the trade just went on and, and went uh, south and uh, went south until there was no money left to uh, the, the further it goes against you, the more likely it is to come back. So you, so the, that battle cry of the loser, which is, I can't get out now. Uh, I'll get I'll get out with it if if it if it comes back to even I'll get out, and so you you just keep uh, you keep going if if you, if you don't have a stop. I sat down behind by one of the uh, great traders at the the board of trade a generation a generation older than me I know, I know it's hard for you to imagine Maggie that there was a, a generation he might have been a generation or two older than me and I asked him about his son who was a wild trader, and uh, and he said to me in his uh, old raspy farm uh, guy voice. Uh, most of the people in the grain market will know who I'm talking about in, in my generation. He said, Mark, this is his way of answering how his son was doing. He said, Mark, every when you put in a trade, there has to be a stop going with every trade. Now, that was his way of saying uh, my son went went broke uh, and yeah. is out of the business. I hadn't seen him for a while, you know, so uh, yeah. it, it wasn't a surprise that he went broke. But it was interesting that Everett would say, I, no doubt he's no longer with us, so I can use his name. Everett would say, in response to my question, how's, how's your son? Uh, Mark, you need to stop with every trade. Yeah, the lesson, <laughs> the lesson that his son failed to learn. Yeah, yeah, how, exactly. How did you how did you handle that failure? It was more of a uh, a thing with with the spouse. I recognized that uh, my uh, my uh, ability as a spouse was not attached to uh, how much money I brought home on on any given trade, and. Uh, and there was a long gap between that trade and and the next one. And by the time I got to the next one, I began to realize that trading is going to be boring. The reason it's boring is because it's so small by relationship to your to your what you have to lose because you know you're going to lose. Richard Dennis talked about a, a strategy, and I've used some of these strategies where you're right one time out of ten. Well, if you write one time out of ten, you you know the the tenth time you're gonna you're gonna hit a home run. But it's the nine times that you have to control so carefully, and you've got yeah. to control them so carefully that you don't miss the tenth one. Now the tenth one is not the winner. You never know when the winner's gonna come. If you win one time out of ten, you might lose twenty nine in a row till you get to the winner, and you've got to be able to control those losers. And uh, if you can't, you, uh, uh, you will go out of business. Uh, so uh, the, the, the point, and, and uh, Schrager was a a absolutely right to interrupt me. He was getting ahead of me. I was basically saying, if you go strictly by the formula, you're still trading too big. You're trading way too big. You've got to, if you're not trading so, uh, so small, you're bored with your profit. You're trading. You're probably trading too big. Now, when I say bored, I who knows. Uh, but if if you like the thrill that you get at the casino, 
go to the casino. You'll lose money, but not near as much as you will in our business. Do you think too many people these days trade too big? Do you think that's a common mistake that's made? Yeah, it's probably the most common mistake that's made. Uh, let me give you an example really, real quickly for the people who are kind of new to the business. I don't know how many of your viewers are sort of new to the business, but if I, uh, if the first half of the year I lose 25% of my money and the second half of the year I make 25% of the money, most people think I've broken even, but you haven't. Um, let me put it maybe a, a simpler way. Um, if I lose half, if I lose 50% of the money in the first half of the year and make 50% of the money in the second half of the year, I haven't broke, I haven't broken even. I, I've, I've started with a, let's say you start with $100,000, you're down to 50. And you, uh, you make 50% on that. Now you're up to 75. So yeah. you're down 25%. Uh, and it's because you haven't controlled your, uh, your sizing. Uh, obviously, you, you uh, shouldn't be losing 50% of your money in, in half a year, but you can. You can very, very easily if your oh. sizing isn't very good. Listen, we just went through a year that was tough for a lot of people for that reason. You know, correlations broke down, things that their models broke, and if they were not protected, they yes. were in a lot of trouble. Uh, every, everything's been drastically different the last couple of years, sure. So you you realize your identity is not tied to this, and uh, with the help of your wife, and you realize what you've got to do to make it right. So is it that that sort of discipline and following your formula that helped you recover from that? Because some people might have thrown in the towel. Yes, yes. Well, you know, so, somebody said that there's three things you need in this business. You know, you've heard it: discipline, discipline, and discipline. The problem is to figure out exactly how that works. What is that discipline like? Now, in your business, you run into a lot of people who, uh, who love to quote uh, uh, a lot of uh, other people like Einstein, who said uh, uh, insanity is doing the same thing over and over, expecting a different result. Uh, I don't know. I, I don't, first of all, I don't know if Einstein really said that. And I don't know if the people who quote him know what he meant by it, if he did say it. But in our business, you do the same thing over and over. And not only do you expect a different result, you get a different result almost every time. And if you don't have, well, you can call it whatever you want, shock absorbers built into your, uh, the way you're handling your financial stuff and your sizing, uh, you, uh, uh, you, you will lose money on a consistent basis and you won't recognize that it's your sizing that's doing it. Mm. Uh, I have, um, I've given this conundrum to a lot of audiences. If you make money, if you do a certain trade and, and you know it's going to win uh, half the time, and it's going to lose half the time, and you make a little more um, than when, when you win, and a, and a little th than you lose when you lose, how much would you invest in this thing? I give you all a hundred bucks. I give everybody, I give everybody in the audience here a hundred bucks. Okay. How much are you going to put on the first one? I, I, got, I got my coin right here and I flip it in. Okay. And how, how, how much do you have? The bulk of the audience gets it wrong 
and, and I, I should just put it up on the board. Okay, you put $10 on that thing. Now, you, you say you lose the first one, you got uh, $90 left. All right, you put $9 on the second one, and you win $9.50. Now you got 99 and a half. I gave you, I gave you a sure fire winning system, and you lost one, and you won one, and you came out behind. Mm. Now, I want to see the blood draining from your face because you had a winner and you lost money and you probably think that it's because you didn't invest the right time and you didn't sell the right time, you didn't get the right with all of those reasons. And none of those reasons are going to turn you into a winner. You over, you over invested. And if you overinvest, it doesn't matter how good your system is, you're still going to lose money. This is why the non-professionals, it's true, 80% of them lose money. But the next year, the 20% who are left, 80% of them lose money the next year. And the year after that, the, whatever it is, 4% who are left lose money. And on and on it goes until everybody's gone. So yes, it's all about uh, it's all about sizing. I want to move on to your third trade, though, because this is very interesting as well. And again, it's really more of a life trade, and it is one of your worst. And you say it's bad relationships. What do you mean by that? Somebody insisted that I need to be more diverse, so I put money with some different uh, fund managers, and. Uh, and they uh, they either uh, stole it or lost it or mm -hmm. spent it or whatever it was, and uh, yeah, those uh, those relationships turned out to be uh, big time losers, big uh, big disappointments too. Have you ever walked away from deals or opportunities where you like the idea but not the person, or are you more trusting? I'm I'm more trusting, and that's why I've lost a lot in in some of those things. I invested, uh, Maggie, in the. Uh, I'm uh, I'm highly suspicious of the uh, the global warming uh, operation going on these days, uh, but uh, but I invested in the electric vehicle in the early '80s. And that that was before uh, that was before Al Gore. They, they were talking about global cooling at that time. Uh, the, uh, the this is before your time, Maggie. But the the geniuses in, when I was in college in the seventies were predicting that the the polar ice cap was going to inundate New York City by the year two thousand. Uh, wow! I wasn't. They got that wrong. <laughs> I wasn't so worried about it because I never thought we were going to get to two thousand anyway. But uh, yes, yes, they they got that wrong. And, and if I said they were wrong, you'd consider me to be a a science denier, but uh, uh, but yes, I, and and in in that case, uh, th there were some people involved with that electric car, which should have been very successful. Uh, it was a plug-in hybrid, uh, very sharp car, uh, but uh, anyway, lost a I lost a fortune. 
And, mm-hmm. and it was primarily the uh, individuals involved. So if I'd been a better judge of human character, no, I, I'm, not, uh, I'm not capable of bragging about my, my judge of human character. Well, it's, it's the hardest thing, isn't it? It's, I think, very difficult sometimes to see. Yeah. A lot of people end up getting into business with people who are morally compromised because they've got that, you know, that sort of uh, charisma that masks their intentions. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that, that, that is true. I, I had a good friend who was caught, <clears throat> caught in a Ponzi scheme, and he had complete confidence in the guy who was uh, doing it and uh, and he and I were good friends and and I said to him if if somebody asked you who's more honest Mark Ritchie or this guy his name was John Bennett and none of your people will remember that name anyway but uh, I said if somebody asked you who's more honest Mark Ritchie or, or that, that guy what would you say we were on the phone there's a long pause on the phone <laughs> and I, said, <laughs> I said Bob relax I know what you would say he said, I have to go in the market and buy low and sell high every day. I don't have time to drive the right car, wear the right suit, donate to the right not-for-profits, and look honest. I don't have time to look honest. Anyway, he, uh, the, the, that guy, I think, got 20 years. Wow. And he, he did, did you change the way you approach that you approach people or view people based on getting burned like that? Did you become more careful? No, no, I, <laughs> I'm still, I'm still going to trust people. I, I'm sorry. I, I just, uh, I, yeah, I, I, I'm just not going to, uh, I'm thankful. I, I'm just thankful that I've recovered from those things. And uh, yes, I, I should be uh, more careful and, and less trusting, and that's true. But uh, no, I, yeah, it, it's probably true. I'm not. I'm not as big a sucker as I used to be. So. If you're if you're thinking of hitting me up for a, <laughs> don't get any ideas. <laughs> Anyone listening? You've got going. Yeah. <laughs> so your your fourth and final trade is, and you hinted at this earlier, discovering the spiritual or theological framework that's going to allow you to get your life in order. I thought... So what What did that journey look like for you? Yeah, I thought, Maggie, that that was going to be the first one because, again, yeah, it comes back down to the price of mistakes. And I feel like our culture has tried to insure itself against any bad thing that might happen. If you have enough insurance, you can recover from anything. And our business is the opposite of that. And I say, mistakes are costly. Doesn't matter who's covering them, whether it's an insurance company or any, anyone else, mistakes are costly. And no mistake is more costly than theological mistakes. So I, I came out of uh, a relatively conservative, uh, no, an ultra-fundamentalist Christian home, and I said to myself, i got to figure this out for myself. And 
that uh, that journey is what helped me get to what Mark Twain would call the second day. Why were you born? What are you here for? What is your purpose and so forth? And nothing will help you endure the drawdowns in life, whether they're trading drawdowns or other drawdowns, uh, you're, you're going to have them. You're going to have them. The phone is going to ring someday at 3 o'clock in the morning, and it might not be about trades. You'll wish it had been just money. Uh, it'll be something else. And if you don't have a theological, spiritual foundation on which your life is operating, uh, you know, a lot of people say, I don't, I don't, uh, a bad one is better than none. I would never say, I would never say that. A lot of people are dead because they had a, a bad one. But in any case, that, that had to be the core. Uh, actually, I, uh, who knows where uh, life might have taken me if I hadn't gotten uh, almost sidetracked into uh, trading uh, at the Chicago Board of Trade. But uh, I recognized that was where uh, my gifts lay. And uh, uh, it has been uh, a very productive uh, career. Not that making of the money isn't the important thing. I, I think it's probably uh, the, the good things that you do with it. But, uh, you know, it doesn't matter whether it's money or talent or whatever it is. You're, you, you've got the gift of interviewing people. Uh, all, all of these things uh, have the ability to make the world a better place. Life is more than, uh, than the, uh, your, your P&L. Why is this one of your best trades? So it's, God's not p picking up the phone acting as your broker, but how do you think having that framework helps you or has helped you? Well, it, it takes the greed element out of things. You're working. You're not gambling. Everyone thinks you're a professional gambler. You're not. You, you may be a professional risk taker, but you're not a professional gambler. This is boring work. You, you look for the right stuff, right? You, you, you look for what the crowd is doing, and you do the opposite. Uh, the crowd, <clears throat> truth is not determined by the opinion of the crowd. Price is always determined by the opinion of the crowd, and almost always taken in the wrong direction. I used to say I made half of my money uh, contrary and going against the crowd. But later I adjusted that to half to three quarters and then to 90 percent. And now I'm somewhere in the somewhere between 99 percent and 100. Uh, just figure out what the crowd is doing and do the opposite. So it's funny because I think what you just said about price and because there are also people who say well the market's always right you know the market's the ultimate truth teller um do you view the market and the crowd as different things or do you reject that statement altogether i i reject that statement altogether uh people who say that that uh, uh price is yes price is determined by the crowd but uh they, they don't trade yeah they, they don't trade why would they ever make a trade they would never make a trade and they shouldn't make a trade because they don't know what they're doing. <laughs>
uh, and let them teach. And they will get a lot more uh, opportunity to speak than I ever will. No, 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 nobody's clamoring after me uh, for, for pundits. And they, they love to get on TV and they talk about what's going on at the end of the day. That's their cliche. The, the cliche of the day is the end of the day. Uh, that's because they don't have any idea what's going on during the day. <laughs> and those of us who are working during the day, we're working at boring stuff, trying to figure out where something is overbought and sell it, where something oversold and buy it. Uh, and it's, uh, it's a lot of hard work. And, uh, uh, and and it has its boring. We, uh, another one of the things, uh, lines is, uh, how are you enjoying watching paint dry? Uh, <laughs> it, it can get real boring uh, waiting for the market to do what you think it ought to do. I, I like ending on an optimistic note. I think we need that. And Mark, it has been an absolute pleasure to have you. Thank you so much for being with us. You are welcome. My pleasure. <laughs>